So I'm going to read this speech from um, the SEC chairman from 1999. He did a speech titled uh, Plain Talk About Online Investing, uh, May 4th, 1999, at the National Press Club. Um, and his name is Arthur Levitt. Um, and, you know, I found this speech because I was trying to figure out what um, the SEC head was thinking um, during the dot-com period or, or maybe any speeches that they gave. Um, and just, just to kind of compare it to today. And when I first read this, I guess a few, maybe a few months ago, I found it maybe less than that, but my jaw dropped. <laughs> my jaw dropped because I just found so many similarities between this speech and what this um, SEC chief uh, was sort of cautioning about and um, the similarities of the bubble of the dot-com and sort of what we have now. We're in a massive giant bubble of all these different asset classes uh, which is, um, you know, everyone knows the Fed is on a tightening cycle now, or they're talking about tightening. Uh, so, you know, are they pricking the bubble? Well, it looks like it, because if you define a bubble as, you know, um, rising asset prices, um, that depends on ever-growing um, expansion of money. So it's, uh, when the Fed you know, reigns in spending, uh, when they're not as loose, when they lower interest rates, uh, sorry, yeah, when they're when they hike interest rates, uh, they prick a bubble. But not only is this speech relevant for the talk about the bubble activity in stocks, but also the new technology called the internet and investing over the internet, right? So um, the internet basically allowed a lot more people to um, to trade. Um, um, and so this SEC guy is saying, um, well, I'll, I'll just read it because it's, I mean, you'll see the similarities, but I just want to preview that, um, well, you know what? I'm not going to preview. I'm just going to go ahead and, and jump in here. Um, I did enough of a preview, but so here, here it is. And, and, um, I'll quote him and then I'll in the quote and then I'll say, if I'm commenting, I'm saying this is a comment. So it starts, um, today, you hardly pick up a newspaper, turn on the television, overhear a conversation, or talk to a friend without mention of the internet. It has done nothing short of change the way our world works and the way our nation invests. And overall, it has changed us for the better. Okay, end quote. Um, very realistic statement. Um, okay, I'm going to keep going, actually. I'm here today not to extol the Internet's virtues, as they are self-evident, or to raise a red flag of danger. Instead, I want to talk plainly and sensibly about the challenges it presents in the most practical ways. Last week, I visited Martin Luther King High School in New York City to talk about the importance of financial literacy. The first question I got was from a young student who asked, what, quote, inter internet stock should I buy, quote. We are living in a time when the stock market is more a part of the American consciousness 
than ever before. After years of nothing but up markets and empowering technology, the investor psyche has gone through a lot of changes. Memories have shortened and important points may have gotten lost in the excitement. We as a nation, as investors, as businesses, and as regulators should not get manic about the mania. One day, a little-known company stock soars 38,000% after online investors invest using the wrong ticker symbol. Another day, someone fabricates a news story by copying a web page of a news organization, and the stock in question rises 32%. Or sadly, it's an investor who didn't take the time to appreciate what he was getting into and ended up losing his life savings in one fell swoop. It seems that every passing, with every passing day, we can come across one story more amazing than the other. As cliche as it may be, fundamentals still apply. I want to review them here, whether they take the form of advice to investor, investors, guidance to brokers, or readers. I want to discuss a number of important issues all should give all of us sufficient pause. First, to investors, I want to talk about your responsibilities when investing over the internet. Second, to online brokerages, in the enthusiasm over the online trading, you can never lose sight of the fundamental obligations to customers. And third, I want to discuss how the SEC is responding to these rapid changes to protect investors and help maintain market integrity. By one account, more than 7 million Americans trade online, comprising 25% of all trades made by individual investors. In 1994, not one person traded over the internet. In the next few years, the number of online brokerage accounts will roughly equal the metropolitan populations of Seattle, San Francisco, Boston, Dallas, Denver, Miami, Atlanta, and Chicago combined. The breadth and pace of change prompted by the internet are phenomenal. But while it changes the way millions of Americans invest, online investing does not alter the basic framework that has governed our markets for the past 65 years. The laws regulating our markets are a product of the New Deal era. To me, their concepts are as indelible as the Constitution. They have weathered challenge after challenge, decade after decade, and are every bit as relevant and effective today as they were the day they were written. Companies offering their shares, whether off of a website or through paper prospectus, still have to disclose what they are selling and why. Brokers, whether traditional or online, still have the same obligations to their customers. And fraud, whether perpetrated over the internet, on the phone, or in person is still fraud. 
Consequently, I am not convinced it's necessary for the SEC to pronounce a totally new and radical scheme of regulation specifically tailored to the online investing. Yet, I don't rule out the possibility that there may come a time when the SEC needs a new approach, needs, need, sorry, I don't rule out the possibility that there may come a time when the SEC sees a need for new approaches to better meet the imperatives of the internet. What must occur now is a greater recognition by investors of their individual responsibility. I'm talking specifically about an individual's investor, an individual investor's duty to understand and control the level of risk he or she is assuming. That level can vary with the type of activity an investor undertakes. On one end of the spectrum lie investors who trade occasionally online and hold their investments for longer term. They are basically retail investors who manage their portfolios through online accounts. On the other end of that spectrum are so-called day traders, whose time horizon for moving in and out of stock positions is measured by minutes, if not seconds. Some argue day trading is really nothing more than speculation. And speculation is not new to our markets. Personally, I don't think day traders are speculating because traditional speculation requires some market knowledge. They are instead gambling, which doesn't, which doesn't. Historically, short-term trading has been an activity filled by a relatively small number of professional traders. I am concerned that more and more may be undertaking day trading strategies without a full appreciation of the risk and difficulty involved. No one should have any illusions of what he is getting involved in. I know of one state that recently found that 67 out of 68 day traders at the firm had in fact lost money. Somewhere in the middle of this spectrum with long-term investors and day traders on another is an increasing number of Americans who use their online accounts both to invest long-term and to trade short-term on momentum or small changes in the price of a stock. Call this mixed strategy day trading light. I'm concerned about the great influx of new and relatively inexperienced investors who may be so seduced by the ease and speed of the internet, day, internet trading that they may be trading in a way that does not match their specific goals and risk tolerance. I also wonder about many of these investors who have never experienced a down market. On the other hand, a great number of Americans investing their futures and helping to raise capital is in the long term good for our markets and good for our country. Um, I will comment here. So um, what jumps out to me here is that he's, he's basically saying the Internet is a new tool for trading, but it fundamentally doesn't change the nature of, um, of what companies' responsibilities are to disclose to, um, to investors. But he's also not ruling out the investors, you know, responsibility to know what they're getting into. 
Um, he's saying that we don't need to create an, a new, you know, regulatory environment to regulate online trading because it's basically the same thing. So I'm going to keep going, actually. Um, so this section is titled Individual Responsibility. Um, and I, I haven't said what I'm comparing this to, but I am comparing it to the crypto markets, right? So I'm comparing it to this um, this desire for the crypto industry, and they're, they're about to sort of um, go and and try to pass this bill in Congress, but they um, their desire is to not be regulated by traditional, um, you know, uh, laws. Um, and what I, what you know what you can glean here is that you know there was this new technology called the internet, and um, some people wanted um, different rules because you know they can operate under different rules. They can have sort of a regulatory arbitrage. Well, this is what all the crypto people are clamoring for. Um, and a lot of people have uh, don't think these crypto assets are um, securities, but you know this speech earlier that really tells you um, what a security is. And let me see if I can go back and look for it real quick. Um, so mention, you know, he he's talking about companies back then, you know, in 1999, just. They're companies, they're normal companies issuing securities. They're just happening to be doing it, uh, you know, to people who want to trade online. Uh, well, you know, so it's a little bit different than crypto today. But, you know, what really defines an, a, a security is the fact that you're offering them shares to buy. Uh, you're offering them shares to buy. Um, and so you need to tell them what they're buying. Right. And why should why should they invest in you? You need to disclose certain things. Um, and I think that the crypto people today, they just get hung up on the Howey test. And do we exactly fit this? Um, but you really, if you're selling something and someone's buying it as an investment, right, they're not consuming. It, it's not really a product. That is an issuance of a security. And in my opinion, falls squarely in the purview of you know the SEC. Um, so I'm going to move on um, to the next section of his speech. Um, this is, again, um, Arthur Levitt's speech from, from um, May 4th, 1999. Okay. I'm on the section called Individual Responsibility. So as far as I'm concerned, for most individuals, the stock market is best used for investing, not trading. And it is important to make that distinction. Online trading may be quick and easy. Online investing, and I emphasize investing, requires the same old-fashioned elbow grease like researching a company or making the time to appreciate. I'm often surprised by investors who spend more time deciding what movie they'll rent than which stock to buy. Regardless of how frequently a person trades or invests, the opportunity to make these decisions comes with the responsibility to take the time to understand the implications of those decisions. We have noticed four common misconceptions that investors have about online trading. The first is that although the internet makes it seem as though you have direct connection to the securities markets, you don't. When you push that enter key, your order is sent to your broker, who then sends it to the market to be executed. This process is usually seamless and electronic. This process is usually seamless and electronic. It is not, however, guaranteed. It is not, however, guaranteed. 
Lines may clog, systems may break, orders may back up. Even when automated systems can handle a lot of investors who want to buy or sell the same stock at the same time, a line often forms. Price quotes are only for a limited number of shares. Some investors may not receive the current quoted price. And as you would expect, the price of the stock will then go up if there are more buyers and down if there are more sellers. By the time you get to the front of the line, the price of the stock could be very different. So how do investors protect themselves from a rapid change in price of the stock? One way is to use a limit order. That's the second thing every online investor needs to know. A limit order buys or sells a security at a specific price. In other words, the order can be executed only if the market price has not moved past a certain level. On the other hand, a market order buys or sells the stock at whatever price the security is at the time the order reaches the market. So if you place a market order to buy an IPO stock at nine, you could end up paying 90 by the time your order is executed. This isn't theoretical. More than a few investors have lost most of their savings, thousands and thousands of dollars, because they failed to limit their price. Now, sometimes limit orders may not get executed in a fast-moving market, and some firms may charge more for them. But at the very least, I'd rather not own a stock or pay a little more up front than be totally unprepared or incapable of paying a whole lot more later. My goals as an investor may be different from yours, but considering the costs and benefits of a limit order is part of responsible investing in today's markets. The third misconception is that the order is canceled when you hit cancel on your computer. But the fact is, it's canceled only when the market receives the cancellation. You may get an electronic confirmation, but that may only mean your request to cancel was received, not that your order actually canceled. Recently, one major brokerage wasn't able to process 20% of the cancellation orders on a fast-moving IPO. One investor placed an online order for 2,000 shares of the stock, thought she canceled it, and then placed another order for 1,000 shares. After realizing that she had two orders outstanding, she tried to cancel both. Instead, she showed her broker over a quarter million dollars. She owed her broker over a quarter million dollars for 3,000 shares after wanting to invest roughly 18,000. Most cases may not be this exceptional, but I urge investors to contact their firms to see how they can ensure a cancellation order actually worked. Fourth, if you plan to borrow money to buy a stock, you also need to know the terms of the loan your broker gave you. This is called margin. When you buy on margin, the stock you purchase is collateral for that loan. In volatile markets, investors who put up initial margin payment for a stock may find themselves required to provide additional cash if the price of the stock falls. But some investors have been shocked to find out that if they don't meet the margin call, the brokerage firm has the right to sell their securities without any notification and potentially at substantial loss to the investor. Other investors have been surprised to learn that they are lending to the borrower from other customers in their firm through excess balances in their margin accounts. It's clear that if an investor fails to understand the use and consequences of margin account, he does so at his own peril. You also may have heard about plans by the major markets to extend their trading hours into the evening. That's another way markets are being responsive to ever-changing investment patterns brought about by individual investors. But with this new flexibility comes a catch. The price you pay or receive might be affected by a fewer number of people in the market at that hour. That's simply a product of the law of supply and demand. Okay. So um, I imagine if you um, have been anywhere near the stock market, you are aware of all that. Um, But, you know, at the time, you know, the Internet allowed um, basically a lot of people to be 
trading their account themselves in 1999. So this was sort of at least maybe new information for the per- for the person who, you know, wasn't traditionally in charge of their brokerage account. Maybe they paid a broker, right? They said, buy this, buy that. But now this is giving the tools, you know, um, democratizing the tool, which is good. But with that, because, you know, comes responsibility of the individual investor to sort of learn uh, the rules. Um, and I think that's on them. Uh, so, so I can compare this, you know, maybe to the crypto markets of today. The crypto markets of today, you know, democratize access to trading. Putting aside my thoughts on, you know, disclosures about, you know, people actually using this as investment, he's talking here about just trading, right? So you need to learn the tools of of crypto, right? You need to learn how this goes for DeFi. You know, there's there's different um, rules, right? There's things you need to learn. Or else you'll get burned. Um, there's you know the gas fees. There's MEV. There's all you know. There's all kinds of stuff, right? Um, you can be front run. So and then there's also trading rules that you might want to learn if you're using Coinbase, right? Because they have their own rules. <laughs> uh, so you just need to learn um, how, how you know how um, how crypto markets trade. Um, and um, yeah, so. Let me go on here. Uh, the cardinal rule, this is the next paragraph, the cardinal rule of acting in the customer's interest. Now, yeah, I think this is going to be a more important section than the one preceding it, but not as important as the first one. So let me go, go on here. Let me turn to some of the concerns I have about the role of online firms. Firms should remember that while online trading may place significantly more responsibility in the hands of investors, it doesn't absolve the firms of their obligations to customers. Most firms are doing a pretty good job, especially in light of the dramatic growth they are experiencing. But as the internet rapidly becomes more and more integral part of investing for more and more Americans, I ask brokerage firms to help protect the integrity of it for the long run. Now, I'll just comment here that um, you like a Coinbase. Now, you know, the SEC doesn't regulate them, uh, but they still have an obligation um, to their customers because they are providing a service, right? They're providing some kind of service to trade. So um, this might fall under a different regulatory body, but I guarantee you they still have some obligations here. So let me keep going. First, firms need to ensure that their ability to provide effective customer service keeps pace with their growth. If you're marketing your firm to new customers, you better be able to provide them service when they do business. Firms are opening roughly 15,000 new accounts a day. That means 15,000 new potential complaints a day, especially if a system goes down. Are investors having a hard time getting their emails answered? Are customer service 800 numbers always busy? Are complaints about failures or delays in order execution, account accessibility, or other issues overwhelming the firm's compliance department? If the answer to any of these questions is yes, then what are firms doing about it? It doesn't take a regulator to tell you what unhappy customers mean to a customer's, to a company's future, or more broadly, to the future of online investing. Second, second, all firms, whether online, discount, or full service, have an obligation for the best execution of their customers' orders. 
That's not just good business practice, it's a legal obligation. Firms have the same duty to their customers to find the best prices, whether they charge $10 per trade or $100 per trade. The commission has long stressed to firms the importance of obtaining the best possible price when they route their customers' orders. They simply can't let payment for order flow or other relationships or inducements determine where they do business. That's why I have directed our examiners to focus in on firms' order routing practices in an examination sweep. I urge all firms now to review their practices to ensure they're doing right by their customers. This paragraph really stands out to me because um, this this idea that um, you can't you know you have to get you have to get the best um, um, execution for your customer I think has been totally um, abandoned <laughs> in stock stock market and in crypto actually all right so I'll go on. Third, firms need to communicate more clearly to investors. We have reviewed the disclosure and account agreements both on paper and on web pages. Overall, we found that most firms address the different types of orders available. Fewer firms discuss how market volatility and the use of margin can affect online investors. And almost none talk about the risks of what to do in the event of a system capacity and outage problems. I know that customers' orders can be slowed down for reasons outside of a firm's control, but explaining clearly to customers rather than merely disclaiming liability through complex and legalistic language would go a long way toward reducing the complaints pouring into the SEC, Congress, and firms. So to every online firm, I challenge you to meaningly, meaningfully communicate with your customers, talk in realistic terms, let them know their options, and focus on the quality of your disclosure in your agreements instead of just the acceptability of them. Lastly, I worry about how some online firms advertise. Quite frankly, some advertisements more closely resemble commercials for the lottery than anything else. When firms again and again tell investors that online investing can make them rich, it creates unrealistic expectations. And when firms sow those grandiose and unrealistic expectations, they stand a good chance of reaping the adverse results when many of them go unmet. Now, in today's bull market, there may be increasing population of tow truck drivers who now own their own islands as a result of online investing. Assuming there's not, I don't rule out the fact that some of these commercials are tongue-in-cheek, but in a market environment where many investors are susceptible to euphoria, I'm worried that commercials step over the line and border on irresponsibility. I recently saw one commercial that showed two women rushing in from their job to trade more, to trade before the stock market closed. After a few clicks of the mouse, one woman proclaims, I just made $1,700. The other woman sheepishly replies by admitting she invests in mutual funds. What's the implication of the message here? Has it become passe to invest for the longer term and to diversify your risk? Now, some may argue that we shouldn't tell firms how to sell their products as long as it's lawful. I agree. But selling securities is not like selling soap. Brokers have always had a duty to their customers that go beyond simply buyer beware. I've asked the NASD regulatory unit to hold a roundtable on advertising 
to add to the work they've already doing to improve fairness in advertising. I call on all of the firms to join this effort. I've also asked Jay Chat, former head of advertising firm Chat Daily, to work with NASD, I don't know what that is, and industry leaders to consider the public interest issues this type of advertising implicates. Um, so, you know, even though you, a lot of people don't think a lot of the crypto stuff is securities, um, I think that um, the way that they're advertising these, um, these cryptos definitely do matter because um, at the end of the day, um, these cryptos aren't being consumed. They're not like soap. They're not products like that. They are, most people are investing in these for, you know, number go up reasons. <laughs> so all of these issues that, this SEC chair is talking about here with advertising um, being um, appropriate and proportional, I uh, quite frankly still apply to, um, to um, crypto world. And, you know, the SEC, again, isn't the only regulatory body you have to worry about when you're selling a cryptocurrency. Next paragraph or next section, what the SEC is doing. Today, I've talked about what investors need to be aware of if they invest over the internet, and I've also discussed some of the issue, issues firms should be addressing. As technology recasts our markets and helps attract more and more investors than ever before, the SEC's mission is to protect investors and maintain market integrity remains absolute. Securities fraud perpetrated over the internet represents a signal, a signal challenge for the SEC. While the scams we have seen on the internet are the same basic frauds that have always accompanied the flow of money, the internet speed, low cost, and relatively relative anonymity give con artists access to an unprecedented number of innocent investors. Policing this marketplace will require more resources, more manpower, and more money. Nevertheless, we are prepared to do whatever is necessary to help protect investors. While we contend with the internet's growing presence, it offers us important tools to track down and catch criminals. Sounds a lot like blockchain. Um, yeah, keep going here. Law enforcement will tell you that it's a lot easier to catch someone who uses the internet than uses a telephone. <laughs> For example, although the individual who perpetrated last month's news hoax about a corporate takeover tried to cover up his footprints, we tracked him down within a week. Last year, we created the SEC's Cyber Force, a specially trained nationwide uh, corp of 125, 125 attorneys, accountants, and analysts tasked with searching for internet fraud. This year, we'll increase that number by 100%. For next year, the commission has asked for another 11 million increase to expand our efforts to combat fraud. And with the support and insight of congressional and administrative leaders, we will continue to step up our efforts in the future. In the meantime, we are diligently pursuing those who seek to take advantage of innocent investors. In the next two weeks, the SEC's Enforcement Division will present a number of cases charging fraudulent offerings over the Internet. These cases would charge issuers and promoters with making false claims about companies or offering investments in entirely fictitious companies. We have also been working with the FBI on a project called Operation InvestNet a nationwide initiative to address fraudulent securities activities taking place over the internet. Second, the SEC's Office of Compliance and Inspections will continue to inspect firms offering online trading. 
we've already conducted inspections of firms that represent 80% of market share. Based on our initial findings, I sent a warning to all of the online brokerage firms asking them to improve the quality of their disclosure to investors. When firms achieve the highest quality of service and continually act in the interest of their customers, they create a customer for life instead of an, just a short-term trading opportunity. The SEC and the self-regulatory agencies are also inspecting all of the brokerage firms that specialize in day trading. Clearly providing day trading opportunities is not against the law, but the firms should be on notice that they are still broker dealers and must operate within the existing rules. That means complying with disclosure, capital, margin, and best execution requirements, as well as maintaining updated and comprehensive books and records. And any firm, whether day trading or online, that recommends a type of investment strategy or customizes research should ensure that it is suitable for its customers. Oh, interesting. So does that include like blog posts that Coinbase puts out? <laughs> okay, I'm going on here. Third, I'm announcing today the formation of the formal SEC Private Sector Advisory Committee on Technology. The advisory committee's mandate will be a broad one. It will encompass not only how the commission might better leverage its resources to protect investors and safeguard market integrity, but also examine issues specifically related to online trading. I've asked General Ken Mihan, former head of National Security Agency, and Brain Fern, and true innovator in technology to lead this effort in leading cutting-edge expertise to the SEC. As its first priority, I will ask the committee to, to convene a group of industry executives to hear their thoughts and concerns about how technology will affect, our, will affect our markets and participants. Fourth, the commission is unveiling its new investor education webpage. The website is, it includes detailed information on tips for online investing, how to detect fraud on both on and off the internet and other important information on saving investments. In addition, the letter that I sent to online firms, I have asked them to create links from their websites to the SEC's investor education site. This is an idea that came up during a Senate hearing on the subject. I hope we can all agree that an informed and knowledgeable investor is good for the industry and good for individual business. Lastly, I wanna raise some points about chat rooms, which increasingly have become a source of information and misinformation for many investors. They have been compared to high-tech version of morning gossip or advice at the company water cooler. <laughs> but at least you know your coworker at the water cooler. That just isn't true over the internet, and I hope investors recognize that. I wonder how many chat room participants realize that if someone is waxing poetic about a certain stock, that person could well be paid to do it. For the future sake of this medium, I encourage investors to take what they see over chat rooms, not with a grain of salt, but with a rock of salt. By doing so, you protect yourself and you protect the internet. I've asked the major internet providers who can host these chat rooms to place a link to the SCC's website where investors can learn more about online investing and file a complaint with us if necessary. I want everyone in, in a chat room to know that if someone is taking advantage of the technology, you have the opportunity to shine a light on it. Think of it as a neighborhood watch on the internet. With the help of investors, we can get these people who have only one motivation to ruthlessly make money at the expense of others out of our communities. The SEC will do everything it can to protect and inform investors during this time of great innovation and change. But I've said many times before that investor protection at its most basic and 
effectual level starts with the investor. In this day and age, there simply is no substitute for a person's awareness and wariness. Well, that was a good section. You know, we still have this problem. <laughs> um, people trust people over the internet, even when they shouldn't. They don't realize that they're being paid to shill a stock or a cryptocurrency. Um, we had, you know, of course, the GME thing and the whole the Reddit blow up and, you know, a lot of that. Um, I don't even know. They, they, I think they investigated it. Did they even charge anybody? I don't think so. I didn't hear about anything happening, but I'm sure there was fraud going on. It's probably a question of... Um, if the victim isn't going to come, like if the victim was defrauded on an online chat room, um, technically this person could sue. Um, now they may not be able to figure out who the person was behind the chat room, uh, but you know they could file a police report, whatever. Not that it will really go anywhere. So what he's really saying here is that it's the responsibility of the person making the trade, sorry, in the chat room, absorbing information to try their best not to get scammed or defrauded. Now, it is a crime to, to, to commit fraud, but because the nature of not being able to catch these people, and you know, there's all kinds of internet chat rooms out there, um, you need to, as an um, investor, have more of the responsibility on your side. I think that's really what he's saying here, and I think that's still true today. Although, you know, with, with something as big as the GME thing with the, oh, what was it called? Whatever that chat room was on Reddit, Wall Street Bets. <laughs> um, I'm actually surprised that they haven't charged anybody. Now, maybe they have, but, um, yeah, um, because I think they'd be able to get the IPs and, and at least do, do a lot of investigation, throw a lot of resources at that one, um, um, chat group and just, you know, see, see if anyone's actually, um, fraudulently inducing people. Um, yeah. Anyway, so let me read the conclusion. Many of the issues I have raised today were not even a blip on the screen a few years ago. Who can confidently say what online issues would demand our time and attention in the future? Hmm, I guess he was predicting cryptocurrencies right here. Let me go on. But he, we won't stop examining and thinking about how the internet will affect investors in our markets. Through efforts of the Commissioner Unger, who is spearheading the Commission's work on technology issues, and the rest of the SEC staff, we are going to do our best to ensure investors remain protected and our markets remain strongest in the world. All of us are participants in an extraordinary social phenomenon. The democratization of our markets is desirable de development, which regulators should not frustrate. Our mission is not to prevent losers or to modulate the sometimes mercurial movement of our markets, the standard by which we will determine our methods of surveillance, education, market structure, disclosure, and if need be enforcement, will be an unyielding commitment to the well-being of investors. I call on the markets participants, the media, fellow regulators, and lawmakers to help us fulfill this commitment by working together to make 21st century defined as much by trust as technology. Yeah, so I still think the best part of the speech is, is the beginning. Um... Because, you know, again, he's talking about um, the Internet and how, you know, whether you're selling it the old way or you're selling it on this new technology tool called the Internet, um, there's still rules that apply. Um, and uh, just cautioning people that um, there's different um, tools they need to learn about when they trade. They need to have a lot more responsibility because they're given more access, Right. But that fundamentally the rules of, you know, securities offerings don't change just because people can do day trading on the Internet. Um, in my opinion, that's the biggest takeaway. 
And I like to compare this to the crypto industry because it does democratize finance. Um, but um, again, it doesn't change the fundamental nature is if you're selling something to someone, you know, just suspend whether you think it's a security or not. If you're selling something to someone and they're, this person is, um, you know, not eating it, not using it, right? It's not a product. They're investing it in it to, you know, hopefully make a profit. Um, you are going to have to tell them what they are buying and list all kinds of disclosures. Um, so a lot of people liken crypto to the internet. Um, I, I say no, because, um, and again, in his first paragraph, he says that he doesn't, he, he, he recognizes the value of the internet, right? Immediately, he says he recognizes the value of this new tool. Um, with crypto, right? We're still figuring that out. Bitcoin, you know, blockchain, in my opinion, still doesn't have a use case, productive use case. Maybe it will in the future. But I think with the internet and what he said here, it's obvious what the, what the benefit is. Um, with crypto, it's a little bit, um, you know, blockchain or, or, or just crypto in general, um, the use case isn't clear. You know, um, there's not immediate value, right? Um, it's very unlike the internet in that respect, um, in my opinion, at least. And uh, so I think that's the difference. Um, is that here he recognizes the, the valueness, the value proposition of the internet. Um, and I, you know, um, because so here's one example. The internet allows you allows a business to reach its customers easier. They 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 made a website in 1999. Who you know they were able to sell products in 1999 to people that that um, didn't have to call them and place like a phone order or uh, you know anybody could come to their website. That's an immediate value add. What is the blockchain allowing? You might say, well, they can pay me now in a crypto. Okay, but they could also pay you in regular fiat or whatever, and just using Visa. I mean, you'd have to you'd have to make the argument that the, the, the leap right is so great. This payment capacity is so much better, I think, than what we currently have um, to even compare it to like the internet. Uh, which I'd argue, you know, most businesses aren't most businesses are not actually taking crypto. Some of them do, but they often use a payments uh, service that just converts it immediately for them. Um, so, you know, it may add a little bit of value because it gets crypto people maybe buying some of your stuff. Uh, but, but at what cost? You just have to pay this payment server to convert it for you. There's the slippage. There's the volatility. No one really wants to hold the crypto, um, you know, on their books. They want to sell it back to, back for, you know, regular uh, fiat uh, dollars, which is the common medium of exchange. So the use case for blockchain, a lot of people have a lot of theories on what it could do in the future, and maybe it still can, but it's not self-evident. I think a lot of people would, would agree with that. It's not really self-evident. I mean, you'd agree with that unless you're a hardcore um, Bitcoin blockchain person. Uh, but yeah, I think it's very, very different. So, and I just, I, I totally agree with this guy that just because you're selling something over the internet, um, like offering a security, right? You're offering an investment opportunity, which is what pretty much every single cryptocurrency uh, is doing. They're offering an investment opportunity because this isn't, you know, a product like food or soap. You're buying this to like, to flip it, um, which is an investment. Then uh, just because you're doing it over the internet, just because you're doing it over a blockchain um, or DeFi, you, 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 um, just because you're using a different technology, 
don't think that you can get around some of these disclosures and rules. That's, I think, what what to take from this. And the crypto people, they really, really have been able to get away with like regulation murder. Like they, they've been able to successfully um, create a little regulatory um, arbitrage um, for their own industry um, and, and not have to disclose certain things when they sell crypto because, you know, the law is just not being enforced. Um, but at the end of the day, um, they're, they are doing the same thing as, as what, you know, anybody who's offering um, an investment opportunity is doing online or through the traditional stock market. They're offering um, the opportunity to invest in something called cryptocurrency. And they're not doing it the traditional route. They're, they've invented a new technology called blockchain, which is kind of cool, right? But it also gets around um, existing rules. And I think they think just because we've created a new technology, we've also created a new product that doesn't have to abide by securities regulations. And I think that that's a mistake. I think that that's actually wrong. Um, it doesn't mean that I think the SEC is going to come down and, and start enforcing this stuff. Uh, they probably won't. Uh, but you know, this is just my opinion. Let's see. Oh, I was trying to answer the call. Invite to speak. Hello? Hey. Oh, my 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 um, volume was down. Hopefully you're able to hear me. I can. Okay. Um I I I just kind of popped in here so um, I caught a little bit of what, um, what you're talking about. Um, oh, okay. SEC, the title is reading of the SEC chair speech from May 4th, 1999. It's really relevant. Is there a chance you could give me a short uh, synopsis of what that's, that speech was about? Yeah, so um, it basically, he's talking about how uh, the internet is allowing for more and more people to come um, and trade in the stock market. Uh-huh. Uh, saw a lot of day traders, right? And so he was just cautioning that just because it's a different way to to um, buy and sell stocks, um, these you know these online firms still have to abide by the same regulations as tri- typical brokers. Gotcha. Yeah. Hey, where'd you go? <laughs> now I'm the speaker. Hey, now it's my show. <laughs> um, can you hear me? Yeah, I can. Okay, there you are. Yeah, I don't know if you got if you got that. Um, I did. Okay, oh, sorry, sorry. It's only my second time letting people speak, and so I'm having trouble. <laughs> no, I did, and then you dropped out as a speaker and became a caller. Oh, weird. 
<laughs> and I don't know exactly how that works, but yeah, let's see. Oh yeah, now I'm a <laughs> okay. <laughs> Weird. Hey, it's my show. Welcome to the James Reyes show. We're talking about the 1999 SEC chair speech from May 4th. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I thought that this was a really cool um, speech, and I thought it was super relevant because you know right now we're in kind of the same you know bubble. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I I don't know too much, but um, so I'm just going to listen to you kind of talk about all this stuff. How how do we get you back as a speaker here? Yeah, and there might be another guy too that's trying to call in, but maybe he's gone. (laughs) Tiger Harley, I don't know if he's still there. Answer the call. Does answer the call, but he's not there. I don't know how that works. Huh. Well, this has been a fun app. I've been enjoying um, yeah. talking to people. I've only had a few people come into my room. So, again, this is only the second time I've tried, you know, letting letting someone speak. Yeah. Um, I would say for me, not that, I mean, it's somewhat related, but um, I tried to focus a little bit on... Um, what the Federal Reserve did in the 80s to really uh, destroy Carter. Now that has nothing to do with what you're talking about, but it could be a uh, a future topic. Um, oh, you think, raise interest that, rates? Interest rates, yeah. But I don't think people understand uh, the power of the Federal Reserve and what they can do and how the president has, they have very lim- limited ability to set. I think they could set the daily rate of increase, but in general, uh, the Federal Reserve is a private entity. Well, the private, the Federal Reserve is actually highly political. Um, and, but they do, but they are, you're right, that they are sort of independent. I mean, because Volcker in the 1980s, to, um, you know, close to 20%. Right. And and they had to do this because this was there's high inflation in the seventies, um, and a lot of a lot of people were really upset because it killed a lot of you know it killed um, real estate you know housing. Yeah. Um, there was a recession. Right, but they did get the tax. They did get tax code to change, and that slid everything. And from that point on, we became a debting nation. So Reagan was the what is that? The start of us becoming a debting nation. Previous to that, we were a loaning nation. Um, so anyway, it could be a whole show of what what took place in the eighties. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, and I mean, I mean, I'm not an expert on this, on that. You know what went on in the eighties, but um, I think a lot of deregulation. And, you know, I'm a free market person, but I do believe in the rule of law. And I do believe that in the 80s, there was a lot of financial derivative products that were built. And then a lo- not, you know, a lot of funny business where where they were um, basically creating a lot of stuff out of thin air, sort of with these new products. And so we had that, you know, the whole financial innovation of the 80s. And um, then we had some consequences from, from that right. period of time. Uh, Savings and loan, I think, right? Yeah, there was that, and then just all the derivative stuff, like mm-hmm. that appeared, um, CDOs, you know, all that stuff right. during that time. 
and they were able to use money in the banks in riskier something you know they were able to take them take our money money in the bank and use it for riskier investment i forget i'm starting to think maybe that's glass glass steagall which i think i think was the 90s i could be wrong but it, again that could be there no specifics i just know very general <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. General stuff. but anyways like i don't really i think i'm i think i um pretty much done i re- went through it read it and kind of just did my comments as i as i did it oh but cool i'll, I'll re- publish this if you're curious you read the whole speech i did and then i just kind of did some comments here and there so you may i did link the speech if you just want to read it um that'd probably be, be easier <laughs> i will yeah I'll check it out. And obviously, if it's that important for you to base a show on it, um, it's definitely worth the the time. Well, you know, I read it, so I figured I might as well read it out loud and maybe somebody will see it and also read it. <laughs> what what are your other topics? What other topics have you done show wise? I focus on crypto stuff and I'm I'm basically a crypto critic, so Interesting. Yeah. I'm, so I'm there, one of the only ones, <laughs> and I'm not a, on the left. I'm not on the left. I consider myself a free market person, and you know, Bitcoin is sort of up my alley. But I just, uh, the more I learned about it, uh, the more I delved in. Uh, I don't think, I don't believe basically what the Bitcoin proponents say about it. <laughs> so, um, there was recently a big drop, right? That was because of the interest rate increase. Um, Bitcoin has been highly correlated to stocks, like uh, uh, really like high risk stocks. Um, and so they do tend to trade in, in lockstep with them. And I think it does have to do with liquidity being, um, flowing out of the markets because interest rates have been, you know, going up and the Fed is talking about tightening. So I do think that that's what spurred it on, okay. but that's just my personal opinion. Gotcha. I mean, can there be that many coins out there that this could ever become a usable, like what coins can be used to buy things online? Is there a, only a handful? I mean, of, not, not really. I mean, maybe yeah. stable coins. Have you heard of those? What is it? Stable coins are coins that they're basically crypto tokens that try to peg their price to the dollar. So to be stable and they do this through different mechanisms. Some actually hold dollars. Some of them pretend like they have hold dollars. <laughs> Some of them use tricks like algorithmic tricks to try to just peg the the token um, to a dollar. And they don't really have any dollars backing it. Some are backed with other cryptos and other cryptos are just free floating. So it's really hard to do that. Um, so, yes, yeah, it's, it's a challenge, but it's an interesting um, idea, right, uh, to, to have a stable crypto. Gotcha. But in general, we can't buy anything with with Bitcoin. Well, so they say that you can, right? So they say you can. And in theory, if a, if a company accepts Bitcoin, you can. And okay. some of them do. And there's companies out there, third-party companies out there, that will help a merchant accept it. Because the merchant doesn't really want the Bitcoin. They just want the Bitcoiners to come and buy their stuff. So this, this, this third-party will um, help the merchant convert it on the fly so that the Bitcoiner can still send the Bitcoin for the product and the merchant can get what they really want, which is the dollars without the price um, exposure. Okay, gotcha. 
Do you think there'll be a digital dollar or a digital euro or a digital yen? Well, there already is through the stablecoin products, but those are issued by private um, companies. They want to create, some countries are going to create some centralized um, digital dollars, but I don't think you'll be able to ever exchange it for real dollars. It'll just yep. be this token that I guess somehow they're going to price pr- uh, peg it to the currency. Gotcha. Man, imagine you can get rid of, imagine you got rid of cash. That would be cataclysmic for criminals. Maybe not. I, I actually like cash. Cash is like physical cash is way better than any crypto. Right. Uh, you have the maximum privacy um, of your transaction. Right. right. So I'm a big cash proponent, actually. Gotcha. But I, yeah. I think I'm gonna I'm gonna close this off, and um, I'll I do several of these like crypto. Oh, shows. cool. And um, I don't really time it right, but like I don't, but I, but I've been doing more open calls. At first, I was just doing them, you know, private and just posting them. But I've been doing more open calls. Good for you. Yeah. Well, thanks for tuning in. Um, yeah. Take yeah. care. Yeah. You too. Bye-bye. Bye.